Chapter 2 of Dog Watches at Sea This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Dog Watches at Sea by Stanton H. King Chapter 2 My First Gale as I drew near the wharf on the morning of my departure, I was surrounded by colored boatmen, some shouting, Here's the great admiral. Take my boat, sir. She is young America. This way, sir, for de undaunted. For the Barbadian boatmen, in doing their best to make a living, keep the waterfront in a state of constant uproar. It is their habit to tie their boats at the government landing, and as soon as a white man makes his appearance on the wharf, they gather round him like bees around a hive, shouting at the top of their voices, Want a boat, sir? Here's the Nancy Lee. There's the morning star. Each man having some such name for his boat. They will pull at his coat and tire and provoke him with their vociferous yells. If he is not strong and determined in pushing them away, they will carry him bodily to a boat. I was saved from such a fate, for at this time Captain Dunscombe made his appearance, and taking me under his care, he ordered his boatmen to haul up to the landing steps. We shoved off, and were rowed by two black Barbadians to the meteor. As the captain gained the deck, he gave word to the mate to man the windlass and heave short. While the sailors were heaving on the windlass brakes, getting in the slack chain, I was rummaging every part of the deck. On both sides of our vessel were a lot of small boats, some of them mere dugouts, filled with naked negro boys. They were manifesting their accomplishments in diving. Occasionally the sailors would toss a copper over the side. As soon as it reached the water, the boys would jump from their boats and find the copper. At times the money would be thrown some distance from the ship, where it would seem almost impossible for it to be found. Yet the naked boys would swim to the spot where the money had sunk, and diving, remaining under water, going, yes, four and five fathoms down, would bring the copper to the surface. With a broad grin showing their snow-white teeth, they would yell, heave another, and I'll dive, sir. Knowing the captain was below, I ventured into his cabin. It was a small space where, unprotected from the sight of anyone, were two bunks, one over the other, against the sides of the ship. In the forward bulkhead was a door leading into a very small room, which was the captain's. Fastened to the after bulkhead of the cabin was a table large enough to seat two persons. I was told by the captain that there was no bunk for me. The two bunks in the cabin were used by the mate and steward, and as there was only one bunk in his room, I would have to sleep in the sail locker on a spare mainsail which was stowed there. 
it made no difference to me i was bent on being a sailor and was willing to put up with anything the odor and steam emanating from the cargo of molasses began to take effect on my head feeling weak and dizzy i made for the companionway and hastened none too quickly on deck the mate came aft and shouted to the captain she's hove short sir to which he responded as he came on deck, Set the mainsail and foresail. The sail set, a few more heaves on the windlass brakes, and the meteor was sailing past the vessels at anchor in the bay. It being about an hour before sunset, I was afforded daylight enough to watch every detail of work necessary in getting a vessel under way. I watched with keen interest the setting of the sails and the catting and fishing of the anchor. It was almost six o'clock when supper was served. I wanted no supper, and I knew I should be sick if I went below in that stuffy hole. So I remained on deck. The captain and mate were the only white men on board. The steward, who performed the duties of both cook and steward, and the four sailors forward were black Bermudians. No one seemed interested in me. While the daylight lasted, I continued my inspection of the deck. Close abaft the main hatch was a box about five feet square, lashed securely to four ring bolts in the deck. This was the galley, with sliding doors on both sides of it. In it were a stove and a box for coal. The box, when covered, was used as a seat for the cook while preparing the meals. Forward, right abaft the windlass, was a small companionway leading down to the forecastle. I descended as far as the bottom step. What a sight! A three-cornered flat-iron-shaped hole with four bunks in it an oil lamp giving more smoke than light. Three black men, made blacker by the darkness of the place, were seated on a bench eating something from a pan which was at their feet on the floor. There I encountered that same vile odor of bilge water and steam from the molasses. Quickly getting on deck, I went aft, and steadying myself on the top of the cabin, watched the fading shores of my native land. Fully two hours I sat there and thought of my loving mother, my home, and the associations I had left. Then sauntered below to the sail locker, where I cuddled up and fell fast asleep. It must have been about four o'clock the next morning when I awoke. I cannot find words to describe my feelings. There was a strong northeast trade wind blowing, which created a fair-sized swell. The schooner bobbed up and down. So did I. How wretchedly uncomfortable I felt. All the misery of seasickness was upon me. You who have experienced seasickness will agree with me when I say, at such a time there is but little choice between life and death. I managed to get on deck. I heaved as though my heart would leave me. 
then stretching myself on the deck by the lee side of the wheel longed to be home again could i have put my feet on shore at that time it would have taken more than a spanish windlass to get me to sea again when a person is seasick his one desire is to lie down and go to sleep this may do well enough for a short passage on a passenger steamer but to be cured of seasickness one must keep moving about in misery until he masters it cold weak dizzy and miserable i remained in that semi-conscious state until seven bells half-past seven at which time the captain came on deck seeing me coiled down on the wet deck he took hold of my coat collar and lifting me on my feet exclaimed in a gruff sarcastic voice you wanna be a sailor do ya oh captain i am going to die how you muff which is a bermudian way of saying close your mouth i do not wish to tire my readers by relating the many ways this well-meaning friend kept me moving about he tried to teach me to steer by the compass and did everything possible to keep me on my feet soon after eight bells at noon a trade wind squall struck our little vessel there was a heavy gust of wind and a downpour of rain for about twenty minutes the gaff topsail was hauled down and clewed up the captain shouted to me get up thar and put a turn round that sail it was a foreign language to me i was making ready to coil myself on deck again lifting me clear of the rail he stood me in the rigging shouting git 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 i'll make a sailor of ye i felt sure i should fall as i write the horror of that moment is present with me holding tightly to the shrouds step after step over those tarry ratlines i at last reached the main cross-trees yet when holding on to the topmast rigging my feet firmly planted on the outriggers the gaff topsail slapping and banging around my head i actually enjoyed the sight beneath and around me below me the schooner keeled well over by the force of the squall was cutting her way through the caribbean sea it was the first time i had been out of sight of land the vast expanse of water and the grandeur of the immense blue circle joined to the drooping blue canopy above made our small craft seem an insignificant object the squall was over the gaff topsail set again and in the course of an hour i reached the deck wet through to the skin going below to the cabin i devoured the remnants of the dinner table my sea-sickness was leaving me i retained the food i became accustomed to the pitching of the ship and by night i was with the exception of a bad headache a seasoned sailor this good friend of my mother's in trying to carry out her wishes and make me sick of the sea 
made me master of it. Had he allowed me to sleep and lie around the decks, I would have continued in that miserable state, and most likely would have given up all desire of being a sailor. There have been times during the first day at sea, after a long stay in port in days of dissipation on shore, that I have felt a nauseating sensation, but I have always been able to get about and do my work. Of all the men that I have been shipmates with during my six years in the Merchant Marine Service, there is only one man whose name I can remember. I remember them only by their given names or the nicknames by which they were called. Also of my shipmates for six years in the United States Navy, I can call to mind but a very few names. The names of the officers are fresh in my mind, as I was compelled to address them by their surnames, affixing the Mr. So in writing of my shipmates, I can only name them as I did in days gone by, the common, familiar Jack, Bill, and Tom. My duties on board the Meteor were very easy. No longer seasick, I assisted the cook in washing the dishes, keeping the cabin clean, and also took an occasional spell at the wheel to be perfect in my steering. All day on and all night in. At the close of the fourteenth day out, we were close to Bermuda. It began to darken in the northwest, and at eight bells that evening, our schooner was hove to under a close-reefed mainsail and fore-staysail. About ten o'clock, the man on the lookout shouted, Light ho! Sure enough, under our lee quarter was the revolving light of Gibbs Hill Lighthouse. This was my first gale. I did not know much about the hardships of the crew that night. Snugly coiled down in my cubbyhole, I could hear the voices of the men as they would wear ship, trying to keep off that dangerous coast of rocks and shoals. At two o'clock in the middle watch, I heard the order given to wear ship. I could feel her rise to an even keel, and as though she had received some awful blow, stagger and tremble like a drunken man. In coming round, she had pooped a sea. I thought we were sinking. The water came pouring down through the small opening in the sail locker. I made a rush for the deck to find a stillness of death which lasted but a moment. A small house over the rudder-head, which was used as a bosun's locker, was torn from its lashings. Jammed in the companionway of the cabin, and trying to climb over it to get out of the flooded cabin, was the old colored cook. It took but a few moments for the captain, who was a splendid sailor, to regain control of his ship. He got hold of me and pushed me down into the cabin, daring me to move from there. I climbed into the mate's bunk, clear of the wash of water, and listened to the tramping of the men overhead getting the ship secured again. I had all faith in the captain, and a strong feeling that with him on deck all would be well with us. It must have been about an hour when the cook returned from the deck, 
where he had been lending a hand to begin the work of drying the cabin. I gained courage when he made his appearance. With buckets, rags, and mops, we bailed out what water there was which had not found its way to the cargo. At daylight the coast of Bermuda was clear to our view. A whaleboat, manned by six sturdy colored men, rowed out to us, and rounding under our lee quarter they put a pilot on board. It is necessary for one to be nearing a dangerous coast on a lee shore to appreciate the sense of relief that comes over the ship when the pilot comes on board. At that time there is an ineffable satisfaction in one's security. The pilot and his boat's crew were acquainted with our crew. They called one another by name and inquired of their friends on shore. That evening, shortly after sunset, we tied up alongside the wharf in the smooth waters of Hamilton Harbor. Every man on board, as soon as he could get ready, left the ship. Not knowing my way to Captain Hill's house, I made for the pantry. There I got hold of some hard biscuits, which I smothered with butter and sugar, and retired to my bed in the sail-locker, to eat my fill and pass the night on a water-soaked mainsail. End of chapter 2